I'm excited to share today's message. It's been interesting preparing for this day because there's I there's just been different things that have come up, different things I feel like well, it's, it's kind of missing something. There's something that's not quite together yet. And um, we're talking about depression today. And, you know, it's not a light subject. <laughs> it's, it's not. And um, we're, we've been in this series, Peace of Mind, for a couple weeks now. And last week we talked about anxiety. And this week we're talking about depression. And um, I don't think that the enemy wants us to have victory over mental health struggles um, in our lives. I, I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Um, and so I want to pray before the sermon, um, before I get going this morning, and um, just trust in him that he's got a good word for those that might be struggling even now in the middle of depression, whether you're here with us this morning, whether you know somebody who's battling depression, maybe you're watching online this morning, you're traveling or you're at home and not able to be here. Maybe there's a good word. I, I believe that there's a good word for us today in moments that we battle with depression and disappointment. So Heavenly Father, right now I just come before you and I ask that you would guide the words that are shared this morning, that you would use your word um, your holy word to penetrate our hearts, to help those that are struggling in this moment to be able to get through uh, maybe the next minute, maybe the next hour, maybe to be completely set free this morning from the depression that they're currently battling God and struggling with. Um, God, would you help um, to guide this message today? And we pray against the enemy and any uh, thing that he might be trying to use to distract um, us from hearing your word. Um, he comes to try and steal, kill, and destroy, and that's not going to happen today in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. <laughs> if you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to get it out, whether it's paper, digital, maybe if you grab a Bible in the seat, under the seat in front of you, and grab it, raise it up, and say, I got my Bible, PK. Awesome, awesome. I'm so glad that you do today. Um, we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3 in a few moments. So if you want to turn there and put your finger there, um, I would invite you to do that. I remember it well. I was a teenager, and I was depressed. I was standing in front of the mirror in my bedroom, and my mind was racing. And not with good thoughts, not with anxious thoughts, but with very depressed and lonely thoughts. And... I remember looking at myself in the mirror, thinking that nobody liked me, nobody cared. Um, and I had the harrowing question of, does it even matter if I exist anymore? Would anybody ever miss me? If I were to take my own life, would that mean anything to anybody? And I stood there for a long time looking at myself because there were a lot of things in my life at that age when I was a teen, and, and I toyed with thoughts, very dark thoughts in that moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. And eventually, kind of logic kicked in, and I kind of had this little debate with myself, oh, of course you would be missed. Well, this person would probably miss you, and this person would probably miss you, and, and well, you're in band, and they would probably miss you playing your part, and, and so, yeah, and I eventually let go of the idea, walked away from the mirror, and continued on my way. But the continuing on my way 
just involved performing a certain way around people, acting like I was fine, but feeling so alone on the inside, wondering if anybody cared, wondering, is there anybody that I could talk to about my depression? It was one of the darkest times in my younger years. However, as many of us know, God often uses our most difficult experiences in our life to help others and to bring him glory, to bring others closer to him. Fast forward in my life to being married and initially reluctantly serving in youth ministry with my husband. Reluctantly, because I did not want to revisit that phase of my life. I knew how I was. I, I was ashamed. It was depressing. There was drama that comes with that age, and I didn't want to go back and revisit any of it. <laughs> but then God began to use me. And forward, fast forward even further years, one year in particular, I had a consistent flow. It was just within the course of one year. I had a consistent flow of girl after girl after girl coming and sharing to me these deep moments, like when I was in front of the mirror, these deep moments where they were self-harming, where they were considering suicide, where they were incredibly depressed. And now, as you remember last week, I shared that teens are even more depressed or anxious today. It's kind of a scary thought to me. Um, and God help, has helped me um, talk to them because I kind of understood. I remember feeling the way that they felt. And, and I was able to help a lot of them start to get the help that they needed. And what that particular year, there was a girl, I'll call her Rachel, not her real name, but Rachel. And she dealt with depression and self-harming and suicidal thoughts. Um, kind of like, and, and, and people probably would have never guessed that she was going through these thoughts, just like people probably would have never guessed that I was going through similar thoughts at her age. She was in band, she was bubbly, a natural born leader, she was popular and kind. Every time she came into youth group, she lit up the room. And it wasn't until one night at youth group that she dropped a letter in the prayer box that we realized the agonizing and deep hurt and pain that she was going through, that she had never shared with anyone and for, because for a variety of reasons she was embarrassed ashamed and afraid to reveal what was really going on in her life what had happened in her life and she had shared with us and through this letter that up until that night she had felt like God was punishing her because she just felt like she could never be free from this depression free from these thoughts and that she needed help she needed to tell someone Rachel was someone you would have never thought would have struggled in this way at all. You would have thought that she was a solid, positive teen girl with this great and bright future and outlook on life ahead of her. And to someone who hasn't experienced depression, you might be dismissive if you met someone like her because you'd be like, man, you've got so much going on. Look at all these things you're involved in. You're doing great. You know, just pull out of it. It's going to get better. Just cheer up. And I think her and I would want you to know, and maybe others who have gone through difficult times of depression, that depression isn't just sadness. It's not just being discouraged but it's like a constant darkness. It's sometimes like not being able to feel, like no motivation or even hope. 
And what's sad is that church should be the safest place to talk about feelings of darkness and depression, and sometimes, unfortunately, it isn't. Sometimes the church has kind of rushed off the subject by saying things like, just put your faith in Jesus and everything's going to be all right. Or just a quick, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll pray for you. And then followed by a quick change of subject because we're uncomfortable to talk about it. And we're really not sure what to say. And sometimes in some faith communities, there's like a stigma to it where someone who feels hopeless also feels ashamed to talk about it or maybe even guilty. And so they don't open up because they don't feel safe and they continue to withdraw more and the depression continues to compound. Well, if someone says this morning, I have a sore throat, you might take a step back and go, hey, you might want to go see a doctor for that, right? Well, sometimes if we're battling depression, sometimes the implied message in the church is just keep smiling and keep it to yourself. It's not, hey, how can I listen to you? How can I sit with you? Maybe let's try and get some help together. Um, it's just keep it to yourself because it's in a comfortable difficult subject and I don't think a lot of people know maybe how to talk about it or they think that this shouldn't be an issue. Well I want to share with you that if you're one of the many many people today fighting with depression which is one of the biggest mental health issues in our culture you're going to identify with this first I'm going to share with you and it might it might you might be able to identify with it but it also might make you a little bit upset this morning <laughs> And it's found in Proverbs 12, 25. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Well, yeah, you can relate to that, right? If you're struggling with depression, that makes sense. But then it goes on to say, but a good word makes it glad. Well, that just sounds like the church. Oh, just buck up. It's going to be all right. And that's a good word, right? And, but you go, wait a second. If you're struggling right now, you're probably going, it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not that simple just to smile and continue on. A good word, a good word doesn't pull me out of my darkness, but I want to share with you. I mean, this is God's word that's saying this this morning. I want to share with you and remind you that what will be shared today is the word of God. It's the inspired truth of God. And if that last part feels a little too simplistic, I, I get it. I get it. it. But it's my prayer today that somehow by the power of God's word that will be shared this morning, that a good word would, it might just bring a little bit of hope. That's my hope, is that it would bring a little bit of hope to you and a little bit of healing this morning and start you on the way towards healing through your depression that you're struggling with. So the title of today's message is Two Truths to Remember When You're Battling Depression. Two Truths to Remember When You're Battling Depression. And my prayer this week has been that a good word from God's word would help you, would bring healing today. I hope that this is not going to be a depressing message, um, but it, even though we're talking about depression, I hope that it brings you hope in the middle of depression or hope to share with somebody or give you a way to talk to somebody who is dealing with depression in a way that helps point them to Jesus and you have a real, be able to have a real conversation with them. Um, Depression is a, again, very complex issue, and in case you're feeling like kind of proud this morning because you don't battle with depression, <laughs> I'm good to go. Well, I would just tell you, hold, hold on, because depression doesn't discriminate. 
It can kind of sneak up on you when you least expect it. Um, if you don't have it, that doesn't make you more spiritual than anyone else that um, is here or anyone or somebody that does. It, it can hit anybody at any time. It doesn't discriminate from one person to the next. And I'll repeat, uh, as I've said, I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but according to the experts in the research that has been done, there are essentially four root causes of depression that I just wanted to share with you today. Um, the first root cause is biological. Biological. If you're dealing with depression now, you may not have done anything at all wrong whatsoever. Or maybe nothing has been done wrong to you. You might actually have a chemical imbalance in your brain or in your body that makes it difficult uh, for you to process things. You might have chronic pain. This is everyday pain, and it just leads you to some dark places that you just really struggle because you're in that constant place of, of struggle. Um, you might have a nutritional deficit, hormonal changes, postpartum depression can do things to your body. There are these biological things, even things, some, something simple as not sleeping enough, not exercising or getting enough sunlight. These things can affect you biologically and be a root cause of depression. The second one is relational. Second root cause of depression is relational. In other words, you might have a really big problem with somebody. Like maybe your kids, you're really just struggling to get through to them. Maybe they're rebelling. Maybe they're adult kids and they're making decisions. They're like, oh, I'm just not sure I would, you know, really want them to do that. And, and it's causing you great upset. Oh, maybe your marriage is, is struggling. It's falling apart. Maybe you have issues with people that you love. Maybe there's a divorce you're going through or maybe you've been rejected. Those things can hurt. Those things can lead to depression. Or maybe you went through a global pandemic and had to isolate for 18 months and didn't have any real fellowship whatsoever. You had the absence of relation and you wonder why you're feeling dark. Well, there's relational causes to the darkness you may feel. The third root cause is circumstantial. At the root cause of your depression, you might have lost somebody close to you. And you're, feeling, you're dealing with feelings of, of darkness. You're struggling. You just wish that you could talk to them one more time. Or you might be going through some type of trauma, known or maybe unknown to others around you. Maybe financially you did everything you could try to do on your own to keep things together and you ended up having to file for bankruptcy anyway. Or, circumstantial, it could be something good that you're looking forward to, like retirement. Oh, man, retirement is coming. Woo! I'm going to be free from this job. I'm going to be able to live life and live large and go here and go there. And you get to the point of retirement, you go, ooh, who am I? What's my purpose now? For years, I've done this and this and this and this, and I've known who I am, and now the whole wide world is out there, and I don't know where my place is in it anymore. Or maybe one day... It's kind of a harrowing kind of woo kind of thought. But one day I'll be an empty nester. And a lot of you have the empty nest or went through the empty nest thing. And, and that's something that you might kind of go, oh, wow, this is exciting. But then when you go and pass your kid's bedroom and it's empty or you start to switch it over to an exercise room or whatever you end up doing with that space, your heart aches and longs and gets depressed. The fourth root cause of depression is spiritual attacks. 
is spiritual. We have to remember that, that we don't do battle against flesh and blood, but we have a very real spiritual battle against the forces of darkness that want to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to God. He's out lurking, just waiting to get you. <laughs> and nothing matters to God more than you do. Nothing matters more to God than you do. So the enemy is looking to steal, kill, and destroy you. <laughs> there are four different root causes, and depression doesn't discriminate. Um, I mentioned I, I'm not a doctor or counselor. I'm, I'm a pastor. And so today I want to talk to you from the spiritual perspective of depression and, um, and want to encourage you that if you're dealing with it, it might be something that you need a holistic approach. You might need to do some other things. So don't just rely on this if you're struggling. Like start, start here, but see if you need additional help in different ways. So let's take a look at depression through the spiritual lens and open up um, Lamentations 3. We're going to look at this book in the Old Testament because there is a very depressed man of God <laughs> that is writing this. And I, I want you to um, understand that this man was a prophet. This was a guy that spoke on behalf of God and represented God to the people. He told people what God told him to say, and yet this man of God... This person of deep faith and commitment to God was also in a very deep and dark and desperate place. And this man was the prophet Jeremiah. And so um, we wanna, I want to give you a little bit of context into his current state of depression this morning. You might remember Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was one of the greatest tributes to God in the history of mankind. It had stood for 400 years or so before it was tragically destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. Well, Jeremiah saw this destruction with his very eyes. He would have witnessed loved ones being murdered, his close friends being taken captive. He would have watched perhaps family members being deported away as his city his homeland, that, and the house of God is completely destroyed. He saw all of this, and it makes sense, right? It, he, he was incredibly depressed. And just like some of you maybe right now, Jeremiah didn't know where to turn in his depression. And I want you to watch the descriptions of Jeremiah, who found himself in this moment without hope. And if you've never battled with depression up to this point, this, what you were about to read in Lamentations, this is an incredibly accurate description of how someone would feel in the midst of depression. And so in Lamentations 3, 1 through 2, this is what he has to say. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than the light. Five through eight says he was besieged. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Verses 17 through 20, 
I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord, hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. The prophet of God, Jeremiah, is broken. He momentarily, he has no hope right here. And there's two things that I want, to, want you to remember that I want to share when you're battling depression. And the first thing I want to share with you, is, is that, you that you should remember is that your emotions, your emotions are actually valid. Your emotions are valid. A lot of times church culture kind of says, it doesn't matter what your feelings are. Um, don't believe your feelings. You, should, you shouldn't pay any attention to your feelings. Just keep moving on. And I want you to know that your emotions are valid. They're real. They exist. And the second truth I want you to understand is that your situation, it feels hopeless. It feels hopeless. If you are depressed right now, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know how to get out. Maybe you've tried everything. You've prayed. You've, you've sought the Lord. You've tried to believe, and you've done this for so long. And you may feel like all hope is gone in this moment. And the truths that I just shared here that are up on the screen are completely true. Absolutely, 1,000%. But they're incomplete. They're true, but they're incomplete truths. I want to show you the complete truths because so many people get stuck on what is true, but they're missing the other half. They, they get stuck on what's true, but what's incomplete. So let's complete the truths. The first completion is that your emotions are valid, but they are not permanent. Your emotions are valid, and they're not permanent. And the second thing is that if your situation feels hopeless, with God... There is always hope. So I want to unpack these truths and pray that a good word that we talked about would actually bring you hope this morning. When you're hurt and you don't know where to turn, when you feel like you've done it all and you can't get out of your situation, your emotions are a thousand percent valid. They're real and they're valid. And they're actually an important part of your healing an expert would tell you that one of the ways to heal and to actually start changing your emotions is to, by to acknowledge your emotions and literally naming them. If you feel hopeless, for instance, right now this morning, you start by addressing it and naming it. I feel hopeless. Maybe you just, in your mind, you say, I feel hopeless. Or you might say, I feel angry. I feel hurt. I, felt, I feel mad at the world. I, I'm just, I feel betrayed. I feel like um, empty. Uh, whatever the, the feelings that you feel, I feel numb. I, I have no feeling. I feel like I have no feeling. You know, whatever it is, you name it. You might say, I feel afraid. Speaking of being afraid, how many of you this morning are afraid of spiders? Oh, not many. Okay. Wow. That's kind of surprising. All right. 
All right. Well, there's a few. My husband's one of them. Um, and, and I did have a little bit of a scary situation with a spider this summer. I won't share that story now, but that was probably the scariest spider story of my entire life. But typically, spiders don't really bother me, but they do with John. Um, <laughs> But there was a study that was done, um, not with just house spiders, like cute little daddy long legs and ones like that, but, but with, with this guy. Okay, so, okay, hold on. I heard a few people go, ew, that, like a few more people, and a couple people kind of go, ooh, like that. More of you are afraid of spiders than what Ray raised your hand a few moments ago. But um, they did a study with some tarantulas, and what they did is they took people who were afraid of spiders, and they exposed them to a tarantula in a cage. And then they broke this group of people into four different groups and gave them four different assignments. The first group, they said, I want you to label what you're feeling. In other words, I feel afraid of hairy giant spiders. Label what you're feeling. The second group, they said, make an observation. Um, just a general emotionless observation like that tarantula is in a cage that tarantula is big the third group said just say something irre irrelevant say something irrelevant like it's a Tuesday the sky is blue it's going to rain today something completely irre irrelevant and the fourth group they said go in there and don't say anything at all nothing so four different assignments, label what you're feeling, make observations, say something irrelevant, and don't say anything at all. And they took these people that were afraid of spiders and brought them back a week later. And they exposed them again to a large tarantula, this time not in a cage. And they measured physiological responses. Like, did they sweat? Did their heart rate increase? Did they scream? Did they pee their pants? Uh, you know, uh, what did they do in this room with, spite, with the tarantula? And what they discovered that out of the four groups, by far, the one who labeled their, emo their feelings a week previously did exceptionally better than the other three groups. They were less nervous, and many of them were actually able to even touch, uh-huh, yeah, no joke, touch the tarantula. And what they learned from that study, among others, and what counselors will tell you is that naming your emotions opens the door to changing your emotions. Your emotions are valid. Name them label them. It's not spiritual to pretend like they aren't there to dismiss them. They're there. God gave you emotions. They're valid, but they're not permanent. And when you recognize that they're not permanent and you identify them, you label them, I feel alone, I feel desperate, I feel hopeless. When you name it, it opens the door for God being able to change it. And because our temper or emotions are temporary, this is very important. I want you to hear this. Because our emotions are temporary, we are not going to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. We're not going to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. When you are feeling down, we don't make permanent decisions based on that. And not only are we not going to make permanent decisions, but don't make permanent conclusions 
when you're feeling down? When you feel like, well, all men are this way, or all people are that way, or all churches are this way. Um, Well, you can't possibly do this. No, don't make permanent decisions or permanent conclusions based on temporary emotions. When you feel afraid, when you feel threatened, you might feel like quitting on your marriage. You might feel like quitting on God. You might feel like running out the door, shutting everybody out, getting a big bottle of Jack Daniels, and just drinking yourself silly in the darkest of times. You, in the darkest of darkest of times, you may feel like life is not even worth it, like I did when I was a teen. And your spiritual enemy who wants to kill, steal, kill, and destroy may whisper to you like he did to me, you know, maybe you'd be better off if you weren't even here. And in that moment, that may feel true. But I want you to know that never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, that's true. Like, it's not true because God knew what he was doing when he made you. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he put you on earth here to know him and gave you good works in advance for you to do. And so we are not going to make permanent decisions based on, or conclusions based on temporary emotions. Your emotions, they are valid, they're real, God gave them to you. We're going to feel them, but we're not going to be ruled by them. Your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. And the second thing that I wanted to share with you is that your situation may feel hopeless, but with God, there is always hope. There's always hope. You may not feel it. You may not even believe it. But I want to tell you this morning that there is a good word. And the good word is that God brings you hope in the midst of all and any situation. My prayer has been that you would leave with some hope today that God would give you hope maybe for the moment for the hour for today for the next few days maybe until next week till we're together again maybe until Wednesday when you're here and you're pouring into God's word with other people together in fact I want to show you in our text in Lamentations 3 where we left off Jeremiah says my soul is downcast remember that my soul is downcast but then in verse 21 something interesting happens he turns to God and he says this Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yet I call this to mind. I feel hopeless, God. I feel depressed. I'm walking in darkness. I have no feeling whatsoever. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the middle of his darkest moment, he calls to mind next the goodness, the character, the nature of God that he knows about, and he talks about it. He speaks it out loud, and it's beautiful how he says it. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions <clears throat> excuse me, never fail. <laughs> They're new every morning, and in the middle of his darkness, he declares, God, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. I call this to mind. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because of his love. The word love in the Hebrew text is a plural form of the word hesed, which is a very powerful word. 
It's very difficult to translate. It, it is in the Bible 248 times, and it's packed with meaning. And many Hebrew words are more like a, a phrase, a paragraph, a story. And it's kind of hard to translate it to, into English because they're so rich and deep in meaning. And the word has said, some translators have tried to kind of explain it by, um, it's like his loving kindness or translates to mercy or loyalty or something like that. But this word, it's impossible to really describe apart from the fullness of God's character. And two definitions that I like um, that translators have provided are these. Has said the Lord's great love is actually um, his unbreakable devotion to God's promises, the covenantal commitment to God's character. Because of his covenant and his promises, because of his great love, his compassion um, never fail. We are not consumed. The word compassions in this text is also a beautiful word in Hebrew as well. And the word in Hebrew for compassion is rahama, rahama, which actually translates to the mother's womb, the safety of the mother's womb. What happens in the mother's womb? Well, the womb is a safe place. It's the sanctuary where life begins. It is where life is nourished, strength, strengthened, and protected. It's in the womb where compassions never fail. They're new every morning. And the grace of God is new every morning. His presence is new every morning. He gives you enough every morning, every minute, every hour of every day. He gives you your daily bread, daily grace, your, your compassion. He gives you compassion. He gives you daily goodness, his presence. And with him, there is always hope. There's always hope. So what do you do when, when you're in these moments where the whole world feels dark, when you're depressed, when you feel hopeless, when you acknowledge it, you acknowledge your feelings and you call it what it is. I feel depressed. I feel hopeless. And that opens the door to letting God change that emotion. And then just acknowledge also that I need help. I'm not meant to keep this all inside. I, I, this here should be a safe place and is a safe place to say, you know, I need some help. Asking for help, as we've said before, is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. I need help. And then follow through. Get the help that you need. You might need to go see a counselor, a doctor. Maybe you need to change a diet. Those things are wise and, and they are spiritual. It works with the way that God has designed your body if those are things that you're going through and you need help with. You might exercise or journal. You might get an accountability partner or a mentor. We are better together. Iron sharpening iron helps us become the people of God that God called to walk in his ways and share his light and his love with others. Like last week, when you're dealing with anxiety and it's leading you to dark places, you might pray, you might pause, and you might praise. And when you do these different things, you know what happens? You start to change your posture. When you're depressed or down, or you're talking to a person who is depressed, are their shoulders up or are they slouched? Are they down? When, when they talk to you, is their voice loud with confidence and joy or are they kind of talking quiet and mumbling like this? And are they smiling when they talk to you or are they frowning? Their posture's down, right? 
Now, I can't prove this, but I can almost guarantee you when Jeremiah said that my soul is downcast, I'm in darkness, his posture is probably a little bit like this. My soul is downcast within me. But then he says, yet I call this to mind. He verbally changes his posture, yet I call. And not only does our posture reflect our mood, but our posture can also impact our mood. It's a choice. We can say, yet I call this to mind. And I don't know if Jeremiah did this or not when he said this and wrote this, but maybe in his darkness he, he's looking down, but then he changed his physical posture along with his verbal. Maybe he looked at me, he just raised up his hands towards heaven. And anytime you raise your hands up towards heaven, it's a sign of surrender. I surrender. I need help. I can't do this on my own. What else is it? It's a sign of victory. <laughs> it's a sign of victory. We won. We did it. And what I love about this posture change is that when you surrender to God, you find victory in him. When you surrender everything to God, you find victory in him. Jeremiah says in verse 24, I say to myself, I say to myself, sometimes you have to preach to yourself a little bit in moments of depression. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes you have to preach to yourself. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? My soul is downcast within me, yet I call this to mind. God, you are good. I don't know what you may say to yourself in those moments. You might say something like, Lord, you are the shield about me. You are my refuge through the storm. You, storm, you are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. God, he is my refuge and my strength, my ever-present help in times of trouble. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through this valley of darkness, Lord, I will fear no evil So, because you are with me, God. Sometimes you have to preach to yourself and put your hope in God. Your feelings, they're valid. They're real, but they're not permanent. You feel like you have no hope, but with God, you always have hope. There's always hope. When he is on the throne, there is hope in your home. There's always hope. For I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future. You preach it to yourself. Not my depression, not my darkest days, nothing in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is that going to solve everything? Like right now? <laughs> Overnight? Tonight? I, I don't know. Sometimes it takes a process of renewing your mind. Sometimes you have to do some things to correct your body. It's complex. We're not going to belittle depression. We're not going to surrender to it either. Uh, we're going to surrender to God this morning. We fight these battles with the presence of God. Anxiety, it weighs the heart down. It makes you feel depressed. But a good word, a good word from God this morning is maybe just enough to get you through today maybe through this hour that we've been together, maybe through the next minute. I can tell you that God is good all the time, and he sees you, he knows you intimately, he created you, he has plans for a hope and a future for you, he created you for a purpose, he loves you, 
He calls out to you this morning and accepts you as you are in this moment as his son or his daughter. And uh, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask uh, Jim and Daryl and Emily to come up. It's kind of an interesting story. I felt all week long that we were missing a song and I, I didn't know what song it was. I felt like we needed a song to add to the end of this message and it wasn't coming. I had nothing and this morning I came in and um, on my Spotify playlist, there was a list of songs, you know, just ran at random. And uh, this song started to play called Hold On To Me by Lauren Daigle. And uh, Jim, he, Jim and Daryl both play by ear. It's amazing. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they're incredibly talented, can hear and just start playing. And so Jim said, man, that song is beautiful. You know, what is that? I sent him a screenshot of the song. I'm like, wait a second. I looked up the lyrics and I went, hold on, this is the song. And hopefully you'll be able to hear the words. I'm gonna pray before we sing, but I know that God is moving. His word never returns void. And I believe that there's a good word for somebody in this room today that just needs hope in this moment. Whatever your situation, no matter how dark it feels, there's a good word, there is hope, there's always hope with Jesus. And he is holding on to you in this moment. I want to tell you that he is holding on to you. And it is okay to feel what you're feeling, but it's not permanent. And there's always hope when you feel hopeless. And so I hope that God encourages you through his Holy Spirit this morning to keep on going, to press into him, to seek help, to seek whatever it is that you need in the next moment, in the next days ahead that lie ahead for you. Father, we pray today for hope. God, I pray, I know that this message may not be the cure-all for everybody this morning, an instant cure-all for depression, but God, I do believe that your word does not return void, that you use your word to speak truth into our heart. And right now I pray that the word hope would reign in our hearts, in our mind, in our spirit, that we would cling to you, that we would know that you are holding us in the darkest of dark moments, that we would realize that our, our emotions, they're valid, but they are not permanent, that even if we feel hopeless in this situation, that th there is still hope, that, that hope is you, God. So I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would heal those that are battling and struggling with depression, God, that you would reach in to and just help them to feel and sense your presence, sense you holding on to them, God, in the darkness, in the deepest plate, places of their heart, God. Help them to guide them to the help that they need. And that may we be a place where we sit with somebody going through these struggles, where we listen where we have wisdom and discernment in how to help guide somebody, where we wouldn't discriminate or just brush aside people struggling with this, but we would really wrap our arms around and walk with people that are struggling because depression, it doesn't discriminate. It can come at any moment for any one of us. And God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, if there's somebody here that is thinking about a permanent decision that they're thinking about making because of the feelings that they're feeling, I pray in Jesus' name that they would hold off on that decision, that they would turn back from that, they would not even consider it, that right now, God, they would choose to walk in hope, that they would not make any permanent conclusions or decisions in their life, God, that they would know that they are seen by you, that they are loved by you, that they are cherished by you, that you have a plan and a purpose for their life, that you knit them together. You knew them before they were even birthed, God, and you had great plans for them, God. And I pray that they would, in Jesus' name, not 
make the decisions they are considering now, but that they would make the decision to lean into you, to get help, and to hold on to hope. God, would you just help us to sense you holding on to us this morning as we close. In your name, amen. When the best of me is barely breathing, when I'm not somebody I believe in, hold on to me. When I miss the light, the night is stolen. When I'm slamming all the doors you've opened, hold on to me. Hold on to me. notice the change of posture at the end of the song talking about how dark it is God hold on to me that last verse is I could rest here in your arms forever because I know nobody loves me better it goes from asking God to hold on to me to realizing that he is holding you thank you guys for doing that I appreciate it 
God is good and he is with you and he is bringing hope in the darkness. It's a promise that you can cling to hope, cling to God in your darkest of moments. I thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to remind you of um, your tithes and offerings as you leave. I, I see some people, they're praying and, and still just reflecting on the message, and that's okay. This is a safe place to do that, and you can feel welcome to stay here as long as you feel led by the Lord to do so. We're not in a rush. Um, let the Holy Spirit do work and encouraging work and give you a good word this morning. That's what we're here for. That's what it's about. Um, so feel free to um, hang out if you would like. Um, we just want to let you know that um, we'll be back here again next week. And we want to invite you back as we continue in this series and worshiping the Lord together. We thank you for coming. I'm invite a friend to join you next week. God bless you. May he go with you and give you his peace this week. Go with God. <laughs>